over the course of time, you may have gone through questions in your life as far as, you know, why do we do what we do? I know of brethren that have shared with me over the years saying, this feels old. Going through the same thing every single day. Generally, my week consists of you get up, go to work, you come home, you're tired, and you've got responsibilities at home, finish those, go to bed, get up, go to work, and then it just becomes a life that seems like a rut. And the question is, what are we doing with our lives? And that's an obvious question that many ask themselves. And when we actually take our life to the very end and reflect upon it, what do we see? What I have learned over just the short time I've been in the Lord the last 20 plus years is everything seems vain. And I cannot help but listen to the wisest man in this world and, and he says that everything in this life is vain. I mean, that's his initial statement, that is. Not his final conclusion, right? You see, when we look at life and see everything that we're doing, same thing over and over. I mean, you might have the nuances that might be a little different, but then the same thing. I'll give you an example. Remember back in the early 90s when the Internet came out? For those that remember when AOL and then that dial tone that you would hear coming up and you've got mail and you checked all that stuff out. Some of you didn't get on board to this decade probably. <laughs> You're like, what is, that? what is AOL? Some of you are saying. But when you, when you first get that email or you first get on whatever you know, website and you can look at all that is at your disposal, what happens over time is it gets old. After a while, you don't even want to look at your email. You've got too many stuff coming through the pipe. You don't want to get on it because you just find it same old, same old. Same thing. But we do it because it's a part of our lives now, like many other things. But when we look at life, we ask the question, you know, why are we here? That question is so pertinent to so many areas of our life because when we go through our lives, what happens? How do we live? Every day we know we're supposed to give our lives to the Lord. As Christians, we're supposed to do that. You'd like to think we'd want to do that, and many of us do. But we're supposed to because we give our lives to Him as He has given it to us. But then what? Is there not anything more? Is the obvious question that so many ask. Isn't there something more grand about our lives? That we leave some legacy? And so here's what we do as parents. I speak very generally now. We do very, very good stewardship. Save our money. And have a good retirement. That's what we all do, typically. I speak, I speak very generally, right? At least that's the effort. And then what happens is I get to leave whatever is left over for our children, if there's any left over. And then what? Is that, is that the extent of our, our life? Is that what brings us joy? You see, these are questions that, that Solomon himself had asked, you know, when he looked at life, straight in the eyes and said, now, what's this life about? And just as Jim was reading for us, when he saw all of his labors, when he saw everything that he had done under the sun, he said, listen, it's all vanity. 
It doesn't profit us anything because, listen, no matter what I do in the most wise state, it goes to someone else. And what does he do? Does he do anything different than I have done as king? We look at life. We see the experiments of life. And all is vanity. I remember Jim saying, you know, it was kind of depressing reading that book. I never thought about it from that simple, but I can understand where he's coming from. He's like, well, then if life is vain, well, why are we here? And of course, obviously, you have to read the rest of the story, right? To get the joy of what he is concluding. But the point is that when we read these verses and we look back at our lives, all those things that we work so hard for day in and day out, it's meaningless when we reflect upon them. All those career jumps that you're trying to make doesn't seem so important anymore. All the time that you were trying to save up the, the money, it might go by the wayside come the year 2000. <laughs> we look back at these things and we see, you know, these things that we think are so important that on a daily level we strive so hard to meet seem so insignificant later on. Look at what, what the writer says in the first two verses of this book. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of the, in Jerusalem. Vanities, or vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. You know the word Ecclesiastes means gather together. That's what it means. And what Solomon is wanting to do is have everyone gathered together, listen to his words of wisdom because he has something to impart to them. And we want to listen to this preacher as he offers counsel of eternal wisdom. And that's the key. Something greater than this life. And so what we're doing this morning is looking at all our earthly efforts and seeing the conclusion of the matter so that when we leave this room, we go out and live the most fulfilled life that we can if we have not been doing so. And when I say fulfilled, I'm not talking about something that when you take a day later or a month later, a year or ten, or maybe you come to your last breath and realize, what have I been doing wasting all my time? Versus living life the way God meant for it to be lived. When you can walk away with that, let me just say you have the keys of knowledge. And you have a pathway that God wants you to be on, and a pathway of righteousness. In the first 11 verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon makes it very clear. He looks at all his labors and sees all the things that he has made. And when you read these verses, verses 4 following, he looks at all the houses he has done. Imagine how beautiful they would have been back in his time. Imagine when this is a period of time when gold was in such abundance that looking at silver would be like us today looking at a penny on the ground find them everywhere. In fact, so common are pennies. I bet some of you probably just look at it, don't even think about picking it up. Right? So common. Don't think anything of it. Silver was that way. Now imagine the kind of home that Solomon had. It took years and years to build this home. Then you consider all his gardens, all the groves, all his vineyards. And I can only imagine how lush it would have looked in Palestine. Just mind-boggling. Ponds would be made 
so forests could grow. He had slaves and he had flocks in great abundance. He had silver and gold, male and female singers, all for his pleasure. Can you imagine you want a song sung and you got the ones with the most beautiful voice and you have come here and sing to me now. Just like that. You have your personal XM radio. That's, that's what he had at his disposal. And when he was done looking at all those things, now imagine those that never had these going, I would like to at least experience this for a little while. He did, and here's his conclusion. Useless. Vanity. That's an amazing statement to be made, but I believe that when you look back at the lives of so many people, so many wealthy, filthy rich people, and they can see life as vanity this way. You know, there's, there's people who we can look back in our recent lifetime who have had everything from a material standpoint, everything as far as the follies of life. And what have some of them done with all that they had but take their own lives? Wasted away. I mean, look at the people who are well-known in our society. You can just look back within the last year or so and see how lives are wasted away. Many strive after the wind. I know of people that have so much wealth, and what is it they want? More wealth. As if they can do something with it. Something so great beyond what others in the past have not been able to do. Nothing's new. And so Solomon says, all of this, Vanity. And then he looks at wisdom. Look at verses 12 following in the text. He says, <coughs> excuse me, verse 12, he says, Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can man do who succeeds the king? What can this next person do that I haven't already done? Only what he has already done. That's the only conclusion he came up with. Then in verse 13, I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. He saw in wisdom something that was good, something noble, something enduring. Well, he says, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet, I myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For there is no more remembrance of the wise man of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As a fool. How many here know who Rechab was? Thought so. He's in the Bible. Read, him in, read about him in Jeremiah. Rechab, I'd say, is one of the least known godly men found in Scripture. So great was his influence on his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and his great-great-grandchildren, that when generations came and went, these descendants of Rechab, still held to grandpa, to great-grandpa, to great-great-grandpa's way of living. He told his children, if you tell all your children, 
here's how I want you to live. See all your neighbors that are going into the city of Jerusalem and living there? You don't live in the city. You live out here in the country. We won't think anything of it today. But what is wrong with that, living in the city? But he wanted his children to depend upon the Lord. Whereas in the, in the city you had all those things at your disposal. You live out in the country, you've got to, quote-unquote, depend on God for your daily sustenance. And he says, don't drink any wine. So that generations later, when God has Jeremiah to have uh, these people to come to the temple and to drink wine, he says, we're not going to do it. And obviously, God was using them as an example to say, listen, Israel, my children, these people listen to their own earthly father. But who is known of Rechab today? Very few. In other words, you can take such a wise man like him, put great influence on his children, but after a while, even they would forget him. Many do the same. Just look at our lives. The wise and the fool, they, they go to the, to the grave. They meet the same consequence from an earthly standpoint, from a fleshly standpoint. And even though wisdom excels folly, both end up then in that same place. And so he says, listen, this is profitless. You don't benefit from this. Well, look at what else he says. Look at the works. This is what Jim was reading for us just a few moments ago. Notice what is being said here, beginning again in verse 18. Then I hated all my labor. Can you imagine all that he had done? He has done more in his lifetime as far as with all his servants than I would gather that we put all of our works and labors together in this room. That I hated it. I hated all my labors. Because, excuse me, or in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. The one who came after him was not very good. Partly responsible for his kingdom being greatly divided. And who knows, verse 19, whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor, which I have toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart, despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Yet, he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. It's a great injustice. For what has man for all his labor? And for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun. For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. How many of you feel that way? Working the grind, if you will, from morning to night every single day. I've met people who work seven days a week. And at some point, it's all vanity. They don't see, you know, they might have some minimal temporary goal that brings them joy. But after a while, even that doesn't. So like, what are we living here for? There are many people that come to that conclusion later on in their life. What have we been doing with our lives? When you hear about midlife crisis, what am I doing with my life? That's what you hear often. All is meaningless in and of itself. 
but here's the reason for living. This is what can take something that seems so frustrating, if you will, something that seems so meaningless, and bring us meaning. Give us a reason to wake up in the morning. Give us a reason to not just live, but man, really live. It's right here. In verse 24, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hands of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, that is in God's sight. This is what God gives to us. For those that live this way before him, he gives us these things. But to the sinner... He gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. But, he said, this also is vanity and grasping for the wind because there's something missing. While God gives to the one who has wisdom, if that one does not give his life to the God or does it to enjoy or be pleasing to his God, then that becomes vanity. What I've learned is, Mitch, Enjoy what you do. Take pleasure in the little things to the great things. Learn that from Solomon. Before then, it was like, okay, you do the same thing over and over and over, and you know what the work of the Lord is. You know to do His will. But take joy in it. And when I did that, boy, life was just so much better. Instead of a grumpy young man, it's a happy, little bit older man. <laughs> I don't think I was ever grumpy. But when I look back at my life, I can see that I did not have the kind of joy that I am able to enjoy today. That's because without God, all endeavors are profitless. And with God, every endeavor that you ever do in His name, for His good pleasure, everything you do has purpose. Everything that you do to please Him brings you joy. But can you imagine when you live selfishly? Think about it. I want and I want and I want. I want to do this and it's never ending. You can never be satisfied. And then when you have that, it's like, oh, well, okay, did that. That was all right. Then what? There's nothing good about that in the end. But when you live for God's good pleasure, when you live according to His good will, look at what He does. He gives to you more. The very thing that you want to be satisfied with, He gives to you. Except for, there's something enduring and substantive when God blesses you with wisdom and joy. Because I'll tell you, ask anyone who's lived long enough without that joy, it's miserable. Now, of course, we don't have our TV Guardian hooked up, and so I'm, I don't know what this show was like without TV Guardian, but I saw a show on TV called The Green Mind. I don't know how many of you saw that show or what, but regardless of the, the mythical type status of this one person, the point is, here's a person that had imparted with a gift that he lived and he lived and he lived, and it didn't bring him joy. You know how we want to live longer and longer when we're young? And when you get older, you don't want to keep living longer. For many of us, we're saying, I just want to go and be with God now. I'm tired. My body is breaking down. These golden years don't seem so golden. I want to leave. And you see all the works of men and you become discouraged. 
as you live older and older. You see all that is just unruly and chaotic in this world. People get sad. I was uh, looking at the lyrics of that song that we sing in our supplemental handbook, Exalted, number 98. And there are some brethren that, that are singing that had done this song, a cappella. And then there were some comments and someone saying, I, this is exactly what I needed, this song. I've lived long enough where I just see nothing but just chaos and hatred and murder. And this song is the absolute opposite. Brethren, when you get that, you begin to go on that path that says, you know what, there's purpose in life. And there's purpose in my life. So what happens with this information? Because I have known Christians, some, few actually, very few, but they've done it. They've taken their lives. They missed the whole understanding of God's counsel. They missed everything that Ecclesiastes wants us to learn. What Solomon wanted us to learn through his writings. And that is that we can have everything. We may not have all his wealth, but we have eternal riches. We may not have all the experiences that he did, but we have everything that brings us joy because we walk in the counsel of our God. And those that don't, we're told in Matthew chapter 25 what happens to such wicked individuals. Look at what it says here in Matthew 25, the very last part of this chapter, or at least the last part of this conversation, I should say. In verse 28, when the talents had been given to these three men and to the one that, that had the, the most talents, more was given. The one who used his talents, he was given. But to the one who didn't use what God gave him, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant, that vain servant, if you will, into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you look at the gospel message, and what Jesus was trying to teach to everyone, he gave to those who sought Him. He gave them wisdom. He gave them joy because these individuals would know that He's the Christ. He's their Savior. He's the one that would die so they could have life. And that brought them joy and that they were willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. When you read Matthew 13, verse 11, and you read continuing on, when the disciples said, Lord, why are you speaking in parables? Well, because to you, you who believe, it's been given. To them, even what they have will be taken away. It's just like the, the, the illustration in that parable itself. The seed that fell on that stony ground was taken away, right? It was snatched up by the birds of the air. You see, those who do not please Him, those who do not seek after God, have nothing. I don't care if you're the wealthiest man in the world, then how is it that a six-year-old Levi can know who Bill Gates is is beyond me? And he goes, Daddy, I think we have more pennies than Bill Gates. <laughs> he wanted to keep collecting those pennies. If Bill Gates doesn't have the Lord, I don't care if you're the wealthiest man in this world, you are dirt poor. You have nothing. You have less than nothing. 
you have eternal separation from God. And I don't care if you have nothing but a penny to your name. If you have the Lord, you are so far more glorious in wealth than Solomon could ever have been. You have everything. And you have that joy of eternal life. And that's why you can step forward and you can go through trials in this world knowing they're just temporary. How easy to shrug off things that are life-threatening when you have the Lord. Brethren, that's not a fake faith. That's genuine faith. When you can shrug off these minuscule trials of life. All they are are temporary. Now, I don't want to minimize them from a standpoint that we have to go through them. It affects every one of us. I'm looking at things from an eternal perspective. When we look back upon life, they look so minuscule, they look so unimportant. You count it all joy when you fall into these various trials. That's what James said. You count it all joy when you have the wisdom that comes from heaven because that allows you to live everything as pleasing to God. And so, we don't know the activities that God has in store for our lives. For all I know, stock has been doing well in September. It could just completely be gone, and we could be third world status in no time flat. And guess what? Christians could be the happiest of all. Because we know this world is not my home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond that blue. And we're looking forward to those treasures, those eternal treasures. So what I'm saying, brethren, just as the writer in Ecclesiastes says, spend your days working, but with a good and noble heart, to the pleasure of God, and He provides. He provides for you this joy that is unsearchable to this world. He provides for you this vibrance of life that makes life worth living for. And isn't that what he says in, in chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, and when you get into chapter 12, how we ought to look at our youth in this regard? While we are able to do things, before that silver cord is loosened, you know, while we're young and, and have vigor, do everything with gusto. Do everything with joy. Because when we get older and we live here on earth, Taking a step is a mighty scary thing. That might be the last step that I take. And singing songs that seem so easy to praise God with takes every ounce of energy to get those songs out, to get those words out, to praise God. Children, enjoy your youth. Children, when you're young, and I know a lot of children, you, you want to be older because you want to have mom and dad get to stay up late. I know they must be having a good time when we're asleep in that bed all sad because we can't be up with them. Enjoy your youth. Enjoy living your life. And as you get older and you're able to work, do it to the glory of God. Because I'll tell you what, if you're working for, excuse the, uh, the, the phrase, working for the man, there's no joy in it. But if you're working for your God, there is joy. You can do everything to be pleasing to Him. And God will again, He'll bless you. Don't forget your Creator. That's what Solomon says in chapter 12 in the first few verses. 
Remember the whole conclusion, right? This is where the passage that we all remember, if, if we've read our Bibles in the past, we read, well, what is the whole conclusion of the matter, he says, in chapter 12, the last two verses. Fear God, keep His commandments. When we can live with this reverence for our God, when we can live with a true knowledge of who He is, what He wants to do for us, we'll understand His commandments. And we'll keep it. And his commandments are not burdensome. Just as Paul said, or excuse me, what John said in 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, his commandments are not burdensome. Living for him brings joy to my life. Just like that 119th Psalm that we can read. 